You're listening to the Trace Church Rock Rimmon podcast. Well, what's up, Trace Church? How are you guys doing? Good? Good. Yeah, I'm excited to get to see people here. Uh, that's always fun. Uh, but just want to take a moment and say welcome to all of you guys that are joining us for the very first time. Got to see several new faces, uh, which is always exciting for us. Whether someone invited you personally, maybe you saw our street signs, or maybe someone shared a Facebook or a YouTube message with you, whatever the case, we're so excited to have you this morning. Um, I also just want to take a moment and say welcome to all of you that are joining us online today. Uh, each week we get to have hundreds of people that join us online watching all over uh, the country. And so whether you're here in Colorado Springs or somewhere else, uh, we're so glad that you get to join the conversation uh, today. Uh, my name is Josiah, and I have the opportunity to be one of the pastors here. Specifically, I get to work with all of our students here at Trace. And so maybe you are a student, maybe you have a student from sixth grade all the way up to uh, seniors in high school. But if I haven't met you, I would love the opportunity today to get to know you, get to see your face, get to know your name. I'm going to be right outside the doors of Trace after this, and I would love to invite you to come and join us with some of the things that we're doing this summer. But if you weren't here last week, or maybe you just forgot, uh, Aaron, he kicked off a brand new series that we're calling The Chosen. That as a church, we understand uh, that whenever we read the Bible, sometimes we can read about the different characters and they can feel just a little bit distant. That we know whenever we read about characters like Paul, the disciples, even Mary Magdalene, that they can have life experience that is so far removed from our own that it can be hard to make a personal connection with them. And this is exactly the vision that was behind, the producers had behind making this new TV show, which you saw clips from, called The Chosen, which you can now watch for free on YouTube or their website as well. Highly encourage it. I'm usually not the first to encourage uh, a couple different Christian movies because sometimes they're not very good, but I would highly recommend this. Uh, I love this series. Super good. I would encourage you to watch that. But what these producers, what they wanted to do was provide people with an experience uh, where they get to see the disciples and Jesus and realize that these people in these stories in the Bible are not so different from the people watching this show. And that's exactly what we want to try and accomplish through this series here at Trace as well. That we know as people that the best stories that we get to experience, the most impactful stories that we get to infl- or get to. Um, experience are not the stories that we see at a distance. They're not usually the stories that we see through a picture frame or a window frame, if you will. But the most impactful stories are the ones that we get to see through the mirror, where we get to see ourselves in the story. And so to do that, last week, Aaron, he kicked off the series by talking about Peter. That Peter we revere as a saint, we revere as a godly man, but actually that Peter was not always this perfect godly man all the time. And if anything, Peter failed his way to success. And today, uh, I want to talk to you about something a little bit different. I want to talk to you about a different character, not one of the 12 disciples. Uh, He came along to the conversation much later, and his name is Paul. And so today, I'd like to talk to you about Paul. So let's talk about Paul. Uh, Something that I've always found somewhat funny is that whenever we read the Bible or whenever we read stories and we don't have a picture of some of the characters, we all come up with a picture in our heads of what we think these people look like. And I like to ask people, you know, what picture comes to your mind when you think of this character? And so I don't know what picture comes to mind when you think of Paul. Maybe it looks something like this, like this stoic man, you know, in a dark room, very reflective, writing out letters like this is creepy Paul, if you will. Um, 
maybe he looks like that for you, or maybe he looks something more like this, an older man with a lot of wisdom in his eyes, no hair on his head, but a lot on his face. Maybe Paul looks like that for you, but I don't know what it is for you. But for me, for some reason, every time I think of Paul, the character that comes to mind is this guy. Uh, <laughs> From, from the Princess Bride, uh, the inconceivable guy, that Vecini. Now, for some reason, I've always imagined Paul. Maybe I was watching Princess Bride at the time when I heard about Paul. But whenever I think of Paul, I imagine him as this short, bald man uh, that lost his hair a long time ago and always seems to be yelling at people. And so this is who I think of. And I know I'm right. I know this is what Paul looked like because, well, none of you can prove me wrong. So um, that's where we're at. But while we don't know much about what Paul looked like, we do know a lot about his life. Uh, that Paul was, not, uh, Paul was very different than the 12 disciples, actually, in a lot of different ways. Uh, for one, he didn't travel around with Jesus for three and a half years like the others did, but also he wasn't just anyone. Now, when you look at the other 12 disciples, it seems to be this ragtag group of 12 random individuals that kind of came together that, God, uh, that Jesus selected to be a part of his 12 disciples, but that wasn't Paul. That if anything, Paul was more of like a child prodigy. You see, in Acts chapter 4, some of the disciples are actually put on trial before a bunch of Jewish leaders. And they're put on trial because all these uh, Jews were leaving Judaism to go follow Christianity by the thousands. And so they're trying to figure out what's going on. But at the end of this trial, they say this about the disciples. They say, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men... They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And we love verses like that, right? Because they give us hope. Because if God could use someone like Peter and John, uh, if God could use unschooled, ordinary men, God could use anybody, that maybe God could use me. But the truth is, that would have never been said of Paul. That Paul was actually the best of the best. That Paul was what was known as a Pharisee, Meaning that not only did he study God's word, not only did he study God, but he was the guy who taught it to everyone else. But not just that, like Paul was the best in his field. He was the top in his class. He was rising the ranks of Pharisees very quickly and had the respect of the people older than him and younger than him. You see, Paul was the kind of guy that all the Jewish moms and all the Jewish dads, they wanted their sons to grow up and be like. That they wanted their daughters to grow up and marry men like Paul. That Paul was the best. There was nothing unschooled or ordinary about him. But in Philippians, Paul, he actually gives us a brief resume of his life. And he says this in Philippians chapter three, he says, though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reasons for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. And I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if ever there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, don't miss this, I obeyed the law without fault. That, listen, Paul was the best. But when you read his writings, he seems to tell a very different story. Because yes, we get to see Paul's skills as a writer. Yes, we get to see his rapport. Yes, we get to see his creative abilities. But then he writes things like this, that Jesus came to save sinners of who I'm not the worst, or not the best, but the worst. Or he writes things like this in Ephesians 3. He says, I am less 
than the least of all the Lord's people. Listen, Paul was the best of the best, but when you read his writings, for some reason, he believes he's the worst. But how could that be true? How could someone as talented, as influential as Paul truly believe that way about himself? Like, did Paul actually believe that about his life? I think those are good questions and ones worth looking a little deeper at. Because you see, Paul wasn't always the Paul that wrote letters and planted churches. Paul, he actually used to go by a very different name. Paul was known as Saul. That the resume that we listed earlier, they weren't true of Paul's life, but of Saul's life. That not only did Saul simply not believe in Jesus, he wasn't a Christian, he was a Jew, but Saul made sure that no one around him believed in Jesus either. That Saul's job was to travel from city to city uh, with different papers saying that he could arrest and even have other Christians killed for their treason. Yet for Saul, he's only doing what he knew to be right. That from his perspective, these Christians were stirring up trouble and convincing well-respected Jews to abandon their faith and join this new cult called Christianity. And so Saul was praised for his actions by his Jewish counterparts, praised for his Jewish convictions. And so Saul continued to be a Christian persecutor. Uh, Saul continued to be a Christian killer until he met Jesus in Acts chapter 9. And I'd love to read this part of the story for you. It says this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem as he neared the to Jerusalem, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what to do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And from here, Saul does a complete 180. That he goes from being a Christian killer to a church planter, and he plants just over a dozen churches, becoming one of the greatest contributors to the growth of the early Christian church. That once Saul met Jesus, he was a changed man. He even changed his name from Saul to Paul, almost as if to say, you know, those things that were in my past, those things that used to be true of me, the actions that I used to have, those are no longer true about me, that I am a completely different person. And I'd love to tell you it got easier for him from there, but it didn't. That a lot of the Christians didn't trust him at first, and rightfully so. Even the disciples wouldn't meet with him in the beginning because they were afraid of what he might do to them. Yet it was clear that Paul was a new man. But even though that's true, I do believe that Paul had a huge level of guilt that remained in his life. That he never truly forgave himself for what he did early on. And he says as much in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says this, For I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. That for Paul, the guilt of his past mistakes, they followed him around for the rest of his life. That for Paul, even though he changed his name, 
Even though he met Jesus, even though he moved around, and even though he became a completely different person, there was a mantra that went around in his head for the rest of his life that said something like this, I am what I've done. I am what I've done. That no matter the good that I do, no matter uh, the good things that I accomplish, the mistakes of my life will always overshadow my impact on others. And so can I ask you a question this morning? Have you been here? Have you been here before? Have you experienced that level of guilt in your life? Have you allowed what you've done to define who you are? Have you had moments in your life where you should feel as if you're on top of the world, yet somehow you still don't feel like you deserve it? Have you been here before? I have. And my guess is that you have as well. But we learn something from Paul's story that is of vital importance when it comes to God, and it's this statement right here, that God will love you at your worst, but he wants to lead you to your best. That God will love you at your worst, but he wants to lead you to your best. Listen to what I didn't say. I did not say God will only love you at your best. That God will only love you when you're sitting here in church and you have your hands raised in worship. I did not say God will only love you when you finally get your life together and you overcome that addiction that you've been struggling with. I did not say God will only love you when you finally get married. You have those two kids and a dog that never cause you any problems. Listen, I did not say God will only love you at your best. I said God will love you at your worst. In the moments where it's hard for you to even love yourself. In the moments that you wish you could erase from your past. In the moments in your life where you hope no one ever finds out about them. Because God will love you even if you have to sit in front of a counselor someday. Or maybe even if you stand before a judge. He will love you if your depression is overwhelming. He'll love you in the moments where you wish you could just end it all. God will love you when you experience loss, or maybe when you feel the most loss. Because God will love you at your worst, when you fail miserably, when there are no excuses for your actions, because God will even love you if you've cheated on your spouse. God will love you if you relapse back into that addiction that you've worked so hard to get yourself out of. He'll also love you if you've been abusive to your family or if you've been abused by them. Now listen, someone needs to hear this, that you are not what you've done and you are not what has been done to you. You are not too far gone. Now listen, if God could love a guy named Saul, a guy who literally went around and murdered some of the people that loved God the most, that if God could love him, guys, I have to believe that God could love someone like me. I have to believe that God could love somebody like you. Because God doesn't just love you at your best. When you're doing everything right, God will love you at your worst. When you've given up hope, when everyone else has moved on from you, when the guilt comes back and the world reminds you of your sin, God finds you there. And he loves you then. But listen, don't miss this. But he loves you too much to leave you there. Because God will love you at your worst, yes. But he wants to lead you to your best. And that is true of Paul, and that is true for us as well. That is why God sent his son, Jesus. 
You see, there's a phrase that my wife has to tell me often whenever I make a mistake, which is often, uh, and it is this right here, especially when I'm pitying myself. She says this, Josiah, you don't get to be perfect. You don't get to be perfect. And at first that may sound a bit harsh, but I need to hear this. Because whenever I make a mistake, like I said, which is often, I tend to take it personally. I tend to think about it for a really long time that, you know, that's, that's not who I am. I don't make mistakes like that. Like, I should be better. But whenever I hear this phrase, it reminds me that God did not send his son named Jesus to this earth because I have my life all together. No, he sent him because none of us do. And as Paul says, that Christ died not to save the perfect, but to save the sinners. Guys, that is what we are. You do not get to be perfect. That listen, Jesus, he looked at each and every one of us in our worst moments when we were the most guilty. And he said, look, I'll take the punishment they deserve. I'll die the death they deserve. Not because they deserve mercy, but because I want to offer them something called grace. And listen, grace is something that separates following Jesus from any other religion, any other philosophy out there. That I promise you, you will not find anyone out there that can deal with you in your worst moments, but then offer to lead you to your best. That grace only comes from Jesus Christ. That Jesus, he took all the influence that he had and he laid it down to make an impact on your life and on my life. That the guilt that we feel, that the guilt that Paul felt, is nothing more or nothing less than an opportunity to take an honest look at our lives and say the phrase, thank God I'm not who I was. Thank God I'm not who I was. That yes, I've made some mistakes. Yes, I have some things in my life that I regret. But I am not what I've done. That this is not the best that God has for me. Thank God I'm not who I was. Because yes, God will love you at your worst. But he wants to lead you to your best. So what does that actually look like? What is your best? If I were to explain it, I'd explain it like this. That for all of us, we live on this cycle. That up here you have influence, and down here you have impact. And for most of us, we take the influence that we have in order to make an impact, and we make an impact, and when we make an impact, we hopefully gain more influence, and the cycle goes on and on and on. But the problem is that as people, we can sometimes get confused with which one is most important. Is it influence or impact? And society or culture would tell you that it's influence. That our goal in this life is to accumulate as much influence as possible, as much influence as we can before we die. And so, you know, we buy bigger houses. We climb the corporate ladder. We accrue more followers on social media, all so that we can have more influence. And we only dare make an impact as long as we know for a fact that it will give us more influence. And we go through this, this cycle over and over again, and the world tells us that this is our best. But this is only consumed with my kingdom. You know, what can get me further faster? However, when you start following Jesus, you're given a very different model. It's not so much about uh, the influence that you can accumulate in all of that as much as it is about using your influence to make an impact on others. That rather than building our own kingdoms, we should build the kingdom of God. And so when we say God will love you at your worst, but he wants to lead you to your best, this is what we're talking about. That your best is when you choose to take the influence you have and convert it into kingdom impact. 
And this is exactly what happened to Paul. And that is why after listing his resume, he says this in Philippians 3, 7, he says, but whatever were gains to me, whatever were gains, whatever was influence that I could boast about, whatever the things that I had confidence in, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. That all this influence that I had is now worthless. Paul is saying it's not about the influence I can take or you can take. It's all about the impact you can make. But just as this is true of Paul, this is also true of you. God, he wants to take the influence you have to convert it into kingdom impact. And so what does this actually look like for you? I think to answer that question, we have to ask this question right here. Where do I have influence? Where do I have influence? Because we all have influence to some degree or another. It's all in different places, but we have to ask the question, where do I have influence and how can I turn that into impact? Maybe for you, you're an upperclassman. That, that you're in high school or college, and whether you like it or not, you've been given influence. That for no other reason than you are older and you've already experienced some of the things the lower classmen have, you now have influence, and they now look up to you. And so how are you going to use that influence? Maybe a better question, are you going to use that influence? Because over the next year or two, you're going to have an opportunity to impact a couple of people's lives that are younger than you. Guys, I've been incredibly proud of some of the upperclassmen here at Trace, that they've joined what we call our student leadership here at Trace, where they give up some of their time on a Tuesday afternoon to come here to Trace, and they help us plan and lead events to impact the rest of the students here at Trace. They're using their influence to make an impact. But maybe you're an upperclassman and you're wondering how to do that. But how can you take the influence you've been given and turn it into impact? Or maybe for you, you graduated a long time ago, and we don't have to talk about when, but you are now a part of the workforce, or you have been for a while now, that you have influence with your coworkers, that you may not be their boss, but you might be. Can I ask you, are you simply using your influence to gain more, or are you using the influence that you've been given to make an impact on their lives? I'm not asking for anything crazy. Take a coworker out for lunch. Ask them about their life. Listen to their story. Help them see the ways that God has gifted them and where they can make an impact in this world. You don't have to make it weird to make an impact in the kingdom of God. Simply start a conversation. How can you as a person convert your influence into impact where you work? Or maybe for you, you're a parent. That you've been given the incredible gift and privilege to be a mother or a father. Can I ask you an honest question? How intentional are you being with your kids? How intentional are you being with your kids? Are you genuinely taking the influence, some of the most unique influence in this life? Are you using that to make an impact in the kingdom of God through your kids? Maybe for you, it's starting to eat around the dinner table again as a family every night. Or maybe it's praying for and with your kids before they go to bed. Or maybe it's just sitting down and taking the time to genuinely encourage them to notice some things in your kids' lives, to notice the influence that they have and send them on towards impact, no matter how old they are. Or maybe for you, it's simply finding something that they love to do and taking the time to do it with them. Guys, as a parent, convert your influence into impact. Or maybe for you, you're a lot like Paul. There's not much unschooled or ordinary about you that you've been gifted in some incredible ways, that God has gifted you with this entrepreneurial mindset, that you may be really blessed in the area of earning, 
maybe not yet giving, but definitely earning, that a lot of your influence comes from your ability to make money. Can I ask you an honest question? I promise there's no ulterior motive here. Are you using that influence to simply gain more? Or are you genuinely concerned about making an impact with the influence that you have been gifted with? That doesn't mean that you start giving here at Trace. Maybe it does, but if you don't give here, please give somewhere. Because we as a church, we are always wanting to grow in generosity, not just so that we can get bigger, not just so that we can get better, but because we want to always be uh, committed and convicted of growing in the impact that we are making here in Colorado Springs and around the world. But that doesn't happen if we don't continue to grow in generosity. That doesn't happen without people like you. And so how can you take the influence you've been given to make an impact on others? So I don't know where you have influence, but listen, you do. My challenge to you is not just to use your influence to accumulate more, but that you use the influence you've been given to make an impact for others. Because listen, God will love you at your worst, but he wants to lead you to your best. And your best looks like taking the influence you have and converting it into kingdom impact. That is what we see in the life of Paul. That's what we see in the life of Jesus. And we hope that someday that is what people see in our lives as well. For God will love you at your worst, but he wants to lead you to your best. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. God, thank you for a place to meet. Thank you for a place to talk about you. God, thank you for the example of Paul's life. That we do know, God, that you will love us in our worst moments. Now, that often that is exactly where you find us. But God, you love us too much to leave us there. And you call us to something better, something higher. God, help reveal to us where it is that you've given us unique influence in our lives. God, let us convert that into kingdom impact. Let us not be selfish with the influence you've given us. God, we're so grateful for Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. And we love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to transition into a time of response. And very simply, this is just an opportunity for us to not just come here and listen to somebody talk, but to leave different than when we came in. That we want this to be a thin space between you and God where you can truly just have an honest conversation with God. And there's a couple different ways that you can respond this morning. Uh, First, maybe for you, you don't know Jesus. And maybe you're hearing about Jesus for the very first time and you're hearing about this thing called grace and you're hearing about this experience where someone will love you in your worst moments, but he wants to lead you to something much better. And maybe you're interested in having a conversation about that. And if that's you, I'm gonna be in the back of the worship center and feel free to come talk to me. I would love to have that conversation with you. Or maybe for you, you do know Jesus. You do know exactly what it is that he's done for you. And whether you're here or whether you're watching online, we want to take a moment every single week to remember exactly what it is that Jesus did for us on the cross. And so whether you're at home, take some time to do this, or whether you're here, we have tables all around the room where you can go and you can take a little thing of juice and a cracker just to remember exactly what it is that Jesus did for us on the cross. Or maybe for you, you have been gifted and have been gifted financially. That we as a church, we always wanna be growing in generosity no matter who we are. 
that we do want to make an impact and that starts when we choose to start growing in generosity. And so if that's you, we have buckets all around at the tables where you can uh, bring your offering if you've come prepared to give, um, but also you can download our app and give on there as well. Or finally, maybe for you, there are some things in your life that are just too big for you to handle right now. There's a lot going on in this season and you just need somebody to partner with you in prayer. And if that's you, if you would download our app and fill out a prayer request form, we would love the opportunity to pray for and with you as a staff here at Trace. Listen, I don't know how you need to respond, but however you need to respond, I ask that you do. I'm gonna pray and then we'll let you guys respond. God, once again, just thank you for this time. God, we want to leave different. God, thank you for being a God that we can come to, that it is always a thin space between us, that you are not some distant God that does not care about what is going on in our lives. But God, you do care for us. And so God, however we need to respond in this moment, God, give us the courage to do so. Help us to make someday today. Let us not put it off until another day, God. Let us make those decisions today. God, we're so grateful for Jesus and everything that he's done for us. Help us to celebrate him well in this moment. And it's in your name we pray, amen.